You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 559 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland. It is Sunday evening now. I apologize for the slight delay. I am actually coming to you live from Minneapolis in a hotel room, so hopefully the quality is okay. Not my normal setup, but uh, here we are pressing on to talk about the Atlanta Hawks. It was an interesting weekend. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on Friday's game, considering how, how ugly it was, but I want to talk about it a little bit. Um, you know, of course, the Hawks lost to the, to, to the Orlando Magic by a final score of 149 to 113. And if you missed this one, congratulations. I tweeted about this a little bit on Saturday when I was watching the game again for the second time. It was a brutal one in many ways. So uh, again, probably abbreviated here on what transpired in this one. But to be fair, the Hawks only had three available wings. Plus Vince Carter only had 10 guys available with Kevin, Kevin Herter and Kent Bazemore out of the lineup on Friday. Still, they probably should not have lost quite this badly. There was a 27-2 run by the Magic in the first quarter, and sometimes uh, you're reminded early on in the game that uh, an NBA team cares more than its opponent, and that can really be a big differentiator. The Hawks didn't need that game, and Orlando badly did for its uh, playoff seating and playoff positioning stuff, so that kind of set the tone early with, again, a 27-2 run, took a 31-7 lead for Orlando, and uh, just for reference, the Magic made their first, sorry, 10 of their first 11 shots and 13 of their first 15 shots. Um, there was perhaps the best five-minute stretch of Jonathan Isaac's career in the first quarter, and he was flying around making threes and playing defense. The Hawks really struggled defensively as well, and not, it was you know sort of a combination between Orlando shooting the lights out and Atlanta's bad defense, so it wasn't just Orlando being unconscious. Um, the Hawks also opened 3 of 16 from the floor and 1 of 9 from 3 on Friday, and I'll, pretty much you know a vast majority of the damage came with the stars on the floor too. It wasn't like, it wasn't like it was only the bench units um, that were getting beat up in this game. It was pretty ugly. And after about eight minutes of play, the Hawks had a minus 132 net rating, which is impossibly bad. Um, the Magic had a 169 offensive rating at that point, and the Hawks had a 37 offensive rating. So that kind of tells the story about how ugly, how ugly that was. Um, to be fair, I guess some, something a little bit slowed down late in the first quarter with neither team scoring for almost two minutes, or sorry, more than two minutes at the end of the first quarter. But uh, the Magic went up by 42 to 13 score, and uh, if not for a meltdown from Michael Carter-Williams in the final seconds of the first quarter, it would have been even worse. The Hawks, though, um, you know, shot 8 of 25 from the floor in the first quarter, 1 of 11 from 3. Orlando was 18 of 25, and that was kind of the end of that. It was a 12 to 5 run by Orlando in the second quarter to go up by a score of 54 to 23, which prompted the great Bob Rathbun to tweet, and I quote, this is not going well, end quote, which got me to smile because uh, Bob was on the air, of course, at this time. Um, and the Hawks trailed by as many as 38. It was 71 to 33. And uh, yeah, to be fair to the Hawks, they did come back with a 9-0 run from there to get it back within 29. But uh, that sentence just doesn't make a lot of sense in a lot of ways. So um, shorthand from here on in, from uh, this, for this, this particular game, the Magic shot. Sorry, the Magic scored 71 points in the first uh, 20 minutes of the first half. Their season high before this for, a, for points and a half was 71. So they matched that in less than 20 minutes of play. They scored 80 to set a franchise record for scoring in a first half for Orlando. That's how bad this was for the Hawks. They 18 assists in the first half. And by the way, the Magic uh, committed 11 turnovers and still set their franchise mark with 81 points. 11 turnovers, 81 points and a half is just a crazy combination. The Hawks really struggled offensively in their own right. And from there, it was kind of academic. Got back to 39 again in the third quarter at one point. 
And the Hawks, um, to be fair, the Hawks scored a little bit better in the second half. They almost actually won the second half, but it just didn't matter at that point in time. My only quibble, and the only thing I want to note from the from the down the stretch was the fact that John Collins played all the way until the end of this contest, which is pretty inexplicable to me. It's not a big deal in retrospect considering he didn't get injured or anything like that, but 34 minutes for Collins in a game that they were trailing by almost 40 in the first half is pretty Pretty insane, in my opinion. Just want to at least say that out loud. And Trey Young played a lot as well. Trey played until the last two, last two minutes or so. It's a little bit more explainable for Trey Young, considering the Hawks only have two point guards. But they didn't need John Collins to play 34 minutes in this game. That was kind of my only note that I wanted to make at the end of this contest. So, you know, hilariously, the Hawks had a season high in steals. They had 16 steals in this game. That was again, their season high. And Orlando turned the ball over a crazy amount, 19 times in a 36-point win. But other than that, there were not too many bright spots. Uh, individually, you know, Collins had a good game, 20.6 rebounds. He was the only guy who was efficient necessarily on the offensive end of the floor. Him and Trey had pretty pretty good offensive games individually, but the entire starting five was minus 24 or worse. Um, Anderson minus 24, Young minus 36, which is the worst on the team. Lamb was minus 28, Prince minus 35, and Collins minus 31. So again, it was basically just the starters that got bludgeoned in this contest, which is a little bit different from what it normally is for this Hawks team in recent days. Uh, other individuals that I wanted to point out, at least touch on all these guys, Torian Prince was had 15 points, but I thought he was pretty bad defensively. One of six from the floor, uh, from three, I should say. Didn't really add much to uh, the uh, mix of positivity in this spot. Alex Lund struggled. He was obviously great on Sunday. We'll talk about that in a moment, but I thought Lund was pretty bad against Orlando as well. Justin Anderson cooled off with only five points, one of seven from the floor. Um, if you want to find a bright spot, it was DeAndre Membry, probably, with 14 points, 10 rebounds, 4 assists, and 3 steals off the bench, but he was still minus 16. Uh, Trey had a good offensive game, as I mentioned before, with 22 points, 7 rebounds, 6 assists, and 3 steals, but it wasn't his night either. He was 8 of 17 from the floor. Like He was okay. The numbers were fine, but he didn't play that great, I didn't think. Nobody did, to be fair. Nobody did. Again, one more time, nobody played well uh, in the overall sense. Vince Carter had 11 points as well, and uh, Joe Adams had a couple of nice, a couple of nice moments with nine points, four assists, and four steals off the bench for the Hawks. Uh, last thing here, Orlando really cooled off in the second half and still managed to post a 134 offensive rating for the game. That kind of tells the story. And you know, 149 points is 149 points. It is the most allowed in regulation this season by the Hawks. Um, they of course allowed 168 in that game against Chicago, and that was four overtimes. But that's just basically another half of basketball. So gonna have to throw, throw that one out to some extent. And uh, this is probably the worst defensive performance of the season for the Hawks, coupled with some good offense from the Magic, but still, uh, it was pretty darn bad, and that's kind of the only way to describe that one. So, probably the shortest recap that I'll ever do on a full game, but just because of the nature of the contest, when you're down by 38 points in the first half, you always have to, have to throw everything out, and I kind of want to do that, considering this is a two-game podcast. So uh, we'll come back in a quick second. Uh, I wanted to take a moment to remind you to, to subscribe to this podcast. I really, really appreciate everyone that's already done that. Check us out on Himalaya or Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. Google Play, um, you know, Overcast, Spotify, all those places that have podcasts. You, sh- you should be able to find us on there. If you can't find us, please let me know that, and I will rectify that for you. But uh, in, a, in a few seconds, we'll come back talk about the game that was much more entertaining, and that was between the Hawks and the Bucks on Sunday. All right, we're back to talk about the Hawks and the Bucks, a much more entertaining game to discuss and one that I would actually recommend watching a little bit more. Um, granted, coming into the game, I would not have said that probably because the stage was set for, a, for, some, for some ugliness if you just saw the rosters that were available before the game on Sunday afternoon. On Saturday, actually, the Hawks listed both Trey Young and John Collins as questionable um, with load management, and uh, by Sunday they were both ruled out. It is worth noting that the Hawks did add an injury distinction for John Collins, the injury report with an ankle injury, and for what it's worth, I've heard that John's been battling that a little bit for a while now. Not terribly serious, but given that if there's any risk at all, you want to sit a guy like that, and uh, this is kind of the time to do it. 
for the Hawks in a game that they probably were not supposed to win even at full strength uh, to go ahead and go into this game without both Young and Collins. So if you factor that in, taking those two guys off the floor in addition to all the other absences that the Hawks have had, uh, you know, with Deadman and all those things, and the Bucks were playing most of their guys. You know, granted Milwaukee is banged up a little bit, like Tony Snell, Nicole Miritich, those guys are not playing right now. But the, the Bucks still have, you know, arguably their four best players, probably their four best players, and of course Giannis Middleton. Eric Bledsoe and Brooke Lopez. So um, they were at semi-full strength. The Hawks were obviously not. And as a result of that, the um, Hawks were 11.5-point underdogs on the road here. It was the first start in uh, their career for both Jalen Adams and, and, uh, Isaac, and Isaac Humphreys. So congratulations to those guys for getting a start under, the, under their belts in the NBA. And uh, early on, it felt like the Hawks were going to run out of the building briefly. It was a 10-2 to start from Milwaukee to set the tone for uh, what was probably going to be a blowout at that point in time. But, it, of course, it ended up not being a blowout. But easy buckets for Milwaukee. They made their first five shots. The Hawks opened 4-19 of 19 from the floor. Still only down by six points, though, because of the fact that Milwaukee did cool off offensively. That was kind of the biggest theme for me in this game, was that Milwaukee just could not make an open shot for most of this game. Um, the backup point guard was DeAndre Bembry, for, for the most part. Jalen Adams ended up playing... Not that many minutes because they close. They actually close with their uh, what I would say is their best five available players. We'll talk about that more in a moment. But it was a lot of Adams, and then Benbury came in as the first backup point guard. Um, the Hawks shot eight of thirty in the first quarter, but only had one turnover. And as a result of some poor shooting um, from Milwaukee, from Milwaukee from beyond the arc, they were actually in this game down down only seven. If you had told me that the Hawks were going to open eight of thirty. I would tell you they're probably down by 15 or more, and they were only down by seven. So that was uh, one of the things in a huge formula for the Hawks to hang around in this contest. Atlanta got back within three, actually, early in the second quarter, and then there was a big Giannis chase down block to sort of spur to run. It was a 16-3 to run by the Bucks to go up by 16 points, and that felt like it was probably going to be the end of it. I know I'm going to say that a couple times on the podcast today, but it really did feel like it was going to, like, like sort of the, the uh, dam broke in some ways, but... The Hawks battled back. They only scored six points in six minutes, but they were playing good defense for a while there. And uh, and then Atlanta finally got a run together with an 8-0 run, um, captained by Anderson and Len, with a combined all, all eight points there for those guys to 48-41. The Hawks did not shoot the ball well in the, at all in the first half. 17-56 from the floor. But they, t- they took care of the ball, only three turnovers, and had six offensive rebounds to allow them to stay in this game. And uh, the fact that they were really, you know, only down by nine points at the half, that's pretty impressive given the way they shot it um, before halftime. Milwaukee only played their uh, their big three of Giannis, Middleton, Wetzel, only 10 minutes each in the first half. They were clearly taking it easy to some extent. There was some... I guess some uh, worried that Giannis wasn't even, wasn't even going to play in this contest, and he ended up going uh, at the very last second. But they were definitely taking it easy on those guys, and that also helped the Hawks to stay in the game. Um, the uh, the Alex Len variety hour was coming, but the Hawks got down by 17, actually, in the third again. Um, well, probably the last time that I will say this, but it looked like it was probably going to be over at that point, too. But then a 10-0 run in about 100 seconds from the Hawks to get from uh, down 17 to down by 7 with less than 4 minutes left in the third period. Um, to be fair, uh, Giannis had 21-7 and seven in his first 16 minutes of action. He was plus 17, but when he came off the floor, it was a very, very different basketball game, and that allowed the Hawks to get some confidence. Um, from there, Alex Lynn went crazy. Uh, he was fantastic in this game. He was the biggest reason why the Hawks were in it. It was basically a combination of Lynn and Milwaukee's poor three-point shooting that led to this. But Lynn had his own floor to get back, back within nine with nine minutes to play. And then Kevin Herter capped an 8-0 run with a three of his own. The Hawks got within three a couple different times. Um, and Milwaukee opened the game 5 of 32 from three. They finally made one with, with Pat Connaughton coming out of a timeout to go up by a nine. And then they pushed it to 11. But then it was the Alex Lynn show hitting back-to-back threes to get back within 98 
98 to 93, and then Torian Prince hit a three with 420 remaining, and it was 101-98. That was the 17th three of the day from the Hawks, and that allowed them to stay close, and they were able to do that. That was as close as they could get, though, because from there, um, Bembry... You know, Bembry got a bucket to get within three, then they got a stop, but then Lynn finally cooled off, airballing a three, and then Chris Middleton hit um, back-to-back threes to go up by nine, and then after an offensive foul by Alex Lynn, Giannis hit a dagger three to go up by 12, and that was the end of that. So it went from three to 12 in a lightning bolt. Um, so, you know, it looks like it was less competitive than it was. The Hawks did sort of get back within eight, of course, at the end of the game with some garbage time stuff. But, you know, again, this is a three-point game with about three minutes to go. So uh, very, very competitive from the Hawks down the stretch here. I mentioned this earlier, but the Hawks closed with their best available five. And I will say this, I'm not 100% sure about this, but the fact that Dallas, um, the Dallas beat Memphis, which uh, basically clinched, well, it didn't basically, it absolutely did clinch the Hawks' number five draft lottery position. I wonder if the Hawks have been playing, would be playing their best five if that had not happened. Uh, It's just a conspiracy theory, of course. But um, Atlanta closed with Herter, Bembry, Bazemore, Carter, and Lynn. Um, sorry, no, I'm, I'm making that up, but uh, they had Torrey Prince on the court as well. But anyway, they, they, they were not playing Adams. They were not playing Humphreys. They were not, they were not playing Davis on the stretch. They were not playing Anderson. It was uh, guys that they were normally in the rotation, and they went without a point guard matching up, matching up against Milwaukee. So one of those things where I'm, I'm not confident, but I'm at least, at least, at least crossed my mind that the Hawks were playing this maybe a little bit differently than if, it, if, it had, if, if, if the situation was different. And we'll talk more about that in a moment. But you know, individually in the spot, obviously it was the Alex Lynn show, as I mentioned before, 33 points, a career high for Alex Lynn, six threes, six of 12 from three, 13 of 23 from the floor. Eight rebounds, four assists, and two blocks. He was minus five, which doesn't sound like a lot, but everybody else in the starting lineup was minus 10 or worse. Len was the best player on the floor for the Hawks by a pretty wide margin in this game, and he was, again, the biggest reason for Atlanta's offensive push down the stretch. Elsewhere, um, positive, positively, I will say Bembry played well, 13 points, eight rebounds, three assists, and a steal off the bench for DeAndre in 23 minutes. He was not terribly uh, efficient, took 11 shots to 13 points, but I thought he played pretty well in, a, in an overall sense. Baysmore had some nice moments with 12 points, but wasn't efficient either. Had to, had, had to take 12 shots. And honestly, if you look at, off, at, the, at Atlanta's offensive box score, you would wonder how they were able to stay in this game because aside from Lynn, there really wasn't too much to hold on to. Torian Prince was 4 of 16 from the floor for 10 points. Um, Vince Carter had, had an off night. He was 1 of 10 and 0 of 7 from 3. So guys that you would think that, would, that, that they would have to rely on offensively without their best two offensive players and Young and Collins just didn't come up very big in this game. But you've combined Lynn with good defense, I guess, you know, at least stat-wise, and the way that it emerged um, defense, that was enough to keep the Hawks in this thing. I circled this, but um, even knowing that Middleton and Giannis hit three consecutive threes down the stretch, the Bucks still finished 9 of 41 from three. And frankly, I have to say this, the, de- the defense on, the, on those attempts was not, was, not, was not great. They missed a lot of open threes. Um, you know, Brooke Lopez was 0 of 5, Bledsoe was 0 of 5, Middleton was 2 of 8, and they, uh, you know, those two makes were pretty late, So, uh, and their bench was bad. You know, Urson, 0 of 2, Tim Frazier misses only attempt, Bonzi Coles misses only attempt, George Hill was 1 of 5. So a lot of open threes missed by Milwaukee in their home building, which is uh, kind of let the Hawks stick around. But still, credit to the Hawks. If you told me again that the Hawks would play this game without Trey Young, without John Collins, and then you throw in 4 of 16 from Prince and 1 of 10 from Carter, I'm telling you that, that, that they probably lose by 25 points. So the fact that they were only, only able to uh, keep this game close the entire game is 
pretty impressive. And uh, they cover the spread, all that, all that fun stuff. So you know, credit to Lloyd Pierce for having, having the guys ready. They play pretty well in an overall sense. But you know, defensively, a 106.8 offensive uh, defensive rating is pretty solid. You know, there was a lot of help there from Milwaukee, but still, the numbers are the numbers for now. Offensively, they really struggled. 40% from the floor. Didn't make 17 threes. That was a huge factor. But other than that, they took care of the ball as well. So this sort of mitigated damage there. But 10 of 10 of 19 from the free throw line. The one blemish for Alex Lynn was one of seven from the line. That definitely hurt a little bit. I'm not sure the Hawks win this game, of course. If they were able to, you know, if he makes all the free throws, but still would have been a little bit more interesting had he made those free throws. And uh, not, I don't want to pick on Alex Lynn because he was awesome. So we'll, we'll leave it there for now. Um, that'll probably do it for the game coverage. I know this is sort of a weird game in a lot of ways as well. You could sort of, you know, evaluate a little bit more from this one than you could from Friday. But at the same time, you take Trey Young and John Collins off the floor, and it kind of affects everyone in the roles that they're playing. Len was awesome, but you know, you're not going to normally see Isaac Humphries for 17 minutes. Deontay Davis played 13 minutes. There's a lot of uh, deployment, um, some lineups that were weird in this game. So I recommend watching this one a little bit more than the other one. Obviously, Friday's sort of game that you have to just throw out. I watched it again, and I felt bad for watching it again. But the Hawks, um, you know, did what they did over the weekend. As I noted before, briefly, I'll, I'll dive in a little bit more now on this. The Hawks are now clinched, the number five overall seed in the uh, seed or position in the lottery, however you, however you want to say that. Atlanta's lottery odds are now clinched, um, so that's something that you can keep in mind. We've been talking about that for a long time, and really on this podcast for. I mean, a month more. I've been kind of assuming that the Hawks would be number five overall. It was always the most likely outcome for the last, you know, at least month, probably even longer than that. Um, still, that is now official, so it's worth pointing that out. And the lottery odds are as such. I'm going to read these off to you real quickly. Um, they have a 10.5% chance to get the number one pick, 10.5% uh, number two pick, 10.6% number three pick, 10.5% number four pick. So if you combine those four, the Hawks have about, you know, 41, 42% chance of getting into the top four. Their least likely position in the top five is, is number five at 2.2%, then 19.6% at number six, 26.7% number seven. That's, that's their highest percentage of any, again, 26.7% to have the number seven pick in the draft, 87 to number eight, and it is possible for the Hawks to fall to number nine with a 0.6% chance. We'll have plenty more on that, obviously, in the future, but I want to at least pass that along to you now. More interestingly, in some ways, there is now a... As I record this, at least, there is a four-way tie for uh, for the number six spot in the lottery. Um, Washington and uh, New York are playing right now, so Washington might be getting a win, which would be even, even more interesting in this, in this spot. But as of this recording time, there are four teams with 32 wins, and they all have two games each to go. That is Dallas, Memphis, New Orleans, and Washington. Again, Washington might have won or lost, I guess, I suppose, by the, by the time you listen to this podcast. But um, four teams, same wins, same same uh, projection in the, in the way that they're going to finish this thing off. So a lot of jockeying. Of course, Dallas is the team that everyone has their eye on. Just for a bit of misinformation that I want to correct, there are some people that seem to think that the Dallas pick will convey um, before the lottery begins. That's that's not the case. The lottery the lottery will dictate what happens with Dallas. I know I'm not trying to pick on anybody, but it's just one of those things. Um, if you want to follow along here, Dallas it definitely helps that the Hawks um, will have that Mavs will be outside the top five as the lottery approaches. But if Dallas were to get lucky in the lottery and jump into the top four, they would keep their pick. So it's not over as soon as Dallas slides out here because with the Hawks clutching number five, Dallas will be will be more more likely to fall out of the top five than in the top five. 
but there will still be a sweat on lottery night regardless of what happens down the stretch for Dallas. But keep an eye on Dallas, keep an eye on Memphis, New Orleans, and Washington, if only because of the Dallas pick and where that falls. It kind of depends on, on your risk tolerance. If you are someone who is more risky and uh, wants to take a little bit more of a gamble, you might want Dallas to finish number six because that way they have the highest floor of these four teams. If you want the more safety and the more safe approach and have the Hawks just get the pick wherever it might land, you probably want Dallas to finish eight or nine. So, Keep an eye on that, and I'll be passing that along to you as well on this podcast as well as on PeachtreeHoops.com. We'll have plenty more on the lottery stuff down the stretch here. So an 0-2 weekend, technically, for the Hawks. Uh, it was a weird one in a lot of ways. Friday was an abomination that you probably should just forget about. And then Sunday was uh, pretty entertaining, surprisingly. And the Hawks um, performed valiantly, I will say, led by Alex Lynn. So plenty more where that came from. We'll have more podcasts. Um, I will not have a, a show until I get back to Atlanta. I will be attending the National Championship game as a media member on Monday night, so I will no podcast tomorrow unless something just bizarre happens and I'll have to record it in the middle of the night, but I'll be flying back Tuesday morning. We'll get back into the groove. I'll be in the building for the last game of the season Wednesday against the Indiana Pacers. I'll have one more show between now and then, so please stay tuned for that, and uh, please subscribe. Do all of that fun stuff, and we'll see you guys later on in the week.